0: On today's show, Bill DeFilippo joins me to talk about Seth Lundy, Penn State grad, and also Hawks' second round pick. And then we talked about John Collins and the trade, all the ramifications there from a national standpoint. We get into all that and more on the way. You are Locked On
1: Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1510 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday afternoon slash evening. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Please make us your first listen each and every day on this podcast. Lovely Lots on Hawks and subscribe on places like Apple, Spotify, YouTube, etc. And if you're watching on YouTube, you already see this person. If you've read the description, you already have potentially planned for this. I am joined once again by my friend Bill Filippo of Dime. Bill, we have uh, a real main topic to get to later on in this podcast, and I let you I let you uh, sort of set it up a little bit. But uh, I'm bringing you on this podcast mostly. You're qualified to talk about many things, but I we've been joking about this for quite some time, <laughs> and that it actually happened. Bill is maybe the foremost. I won't I won't give you the absolute. Maybe you are the foremost Penn State basketball aficionado in the world. I'm not even I'm not even kidding. You oh, might no. be anyone not employed by Penn State basketball. Bill might be next on the list of people like most dug into Penn State basketball. And the Hawks drafted someone. From Penn State. So Bill, it's Seth Lundy time. In a second, save it a little bit. It's coming. Thank you for being on the podcast, though. I appreciate
1: it. It's great to be here, Brad. And I think everyone needs to be aware that on Wednesday, (laughs) May 24th at 7.04 p.m., (laughs) you sent me a message in Slack that's in our Slack that says, when the Hawks draft Seth Lundy at 46, you're coming on for an hour. And you meant it as a... Well, here's the thing. Like, you meant it as a joke, and, kind of. but, but at the same time, like it's plausible enough that we were both like, oh yeah, yeah, haha, ha, that's funny. And then it happened and uh, I laughed for about 20 minutes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. Thanks for having me on. Always great to be here. Always great to be locked on the Atlanta Hawks with you.
0: Thank you, sir, for doing this. But yeah, obviously you've been on the show before. You're not exclusively on this podcast talking about Penn state basketball, although we'll get to that in a second. While I have you though, before we dive into Lenny talk, the Hawks made a trade the other day. It's still relatively fresh. Um, and you know, I haven't had anybody nationally on the podcast yet. No one that's like dug into the Hawks only space about that particular, that particular transaction. So I'm not going to tee you up at all. What did you make of the Hawks trading John Collins to Utah and kind of where they stand after that
1: transaction? It, it was a weird one, right? Uh, it, I, I think that it's really easy to look at this in the easiest way that you possibly can, which was the Hawks viewed it as important to get off of John Collins salary. And for how much, uh, you know, Rudy Gobert, not Rudy Gobert. He's a different guy. uh, (laughs) Rudy Gay has done in this league. I, I think you probably agree with me, Bradley, that the Atlanta Hawks weren't, Going, all right, awesome. We're going to get Rudy Gay. He's going to be a major contributor for us. Him and his 5.2 points and 14.6 minutes per game last year. That's what we need. And I think it's really easy to look at it as just straight salary dump. Straight, get literally anything back for John. But I think it's a really good example. I mentioned this. Uh, I went on to the Just Basketball pod with our pals Brendan Clean and Chris Manning legends uh i mentioned it's a really good reminder of how when you want to trade a guy when you view it's important to trade a guy dragging your feet because you are so desperate to say that you won the deal above everything else that ultimately is going to end up hurting you and your what you get back in the deal in the long run i mean how how long ago brad because you're you're far more aware of Atlanta Hawks (laughs) things than me. Uh, How long ago were we talking about Collins as a guy that could be traded and Atlanta could get back a first round pick? Atlanta can get back, you know, contributor, guys who can contribute on the roster, whatever. It, It wasn't long ago that we were talking about Collins in that context.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it goes back to even before he signed the deal that he's on right now, which is, you know, oftentimes when we refer to him, it's sort of that round number. Like, oh, he's been in trade rumors for three years or so. And it's actually true. I mean, and it was different iterations because they looked at trading him potentially before they signed him. They made the big run of the conference finals. Good timing there if you're John Collins to maybe, you know, obviously the they were not trying to make huge changes after that. so end up paying him they, they should have squeezed him more i've been on that train since the day it happened they should have negotiated harder with him even as someone who's very high on john but yeah it wasn't long ago i think if they had done this transaction even at the deadline they would have gotten more um and especially a year ago in the off season they would have gotten much more and look it's sometimes it's like i talked about it a little bit yesterday on the podcast and i got a couple of responses were like well who cares i'm like well okay i get it i'm not saying that you have to go to your grave." furious about the, about the return for John Collins, but it is just worth noting that the process here was not optimal. I, I think, I, I think if you gave the Hawks True serum as an organization or whoever you want to choose, they would acknowledge like, look, we didn't handle this particularly well, as far as like, not to make this like cold calculating, but managing the asset of John Collins, right. like they they couldn't have traded him at a worse time for his value. He just had a, a pretty shaky season by his standards and he's making a lot of money that, that, they, that they gave him. They should have traded him before. All this stuff. And then, to your point, they've been announcing it and banging the drum yep. for so long that, like, all due respect, every single person in the league knew that this is what they wanted to do. So your leverage goes out the window. And Danny Ainge is, like, a master of extracting teams that have no leverage like this. Like I'm actually kind of surprised that Utah did the trade that they did because I I thought I bet you Danny was even asking for more from the Hawks, knowing the way that he usually negotiates. But you know, all that said, like I did the whole thing a little bit in sort of short form fashion yesterday. But if you go from the Collins thing and even Kevin Herter, if you want to pack those things together and say, was the management of these two guys who you nailed in the first round optimal? I think everyone would say no to that. And it's just kind of like, what's next? Basically, You, you kind of have to just forget that if you're the Hawks, you can't dwell on that. It's it's over now. It's kind of like when Travis Schlank, not quite this bad, I'll be very clear, but when Travis Schlenk got hired, the first thing he did, you may have forgotten this bill, the first thing Travis Schlank did when he got hired was trade Dwight Howard in a bad transaction. Like, he just had to get Dwight off the roster. He just decided that that was going to happen. John was not toxic like Dwight Howard was, right. but sometimes you just got to have to pull a ripcord and say, okay, we're doing it, and next. Today's show is brought to you by PrizePix. If you enjoy the DFS space, make sure you check out the Warming app at PrizePix. Price Place fantasy made it easy. It's amazing. I know that you will love it as well. It's very easy to use. I've been playing there for quite some time now. It's really a breeze to operate within the price fixed space. All you have to do is pick two, six players, it's actually choose whether have more or less than a certain number of points or rebounds, assists. In baseball, it's like total bases or runs or football, it's yards or touchdowns, etc. And you win 25 times the money on your entries with Prize Picks. They have sports across the board that you might happen to enjoy, like the NBA, college basketball, WNBA, NFL, college football, MLB, NHL, PGA, soccer, esports, and much more. And a whole entry can be done in just a minute or less. It's that easy and that quick. Plus, it's just you against the numbers. If Safe and Bass withdrawals of Prize Picks, they're operating in more than 30 states now, including Georgia and Canada. Double the Prize app right now on the Prize It's up and play Dead fantasy sports. If you're a first time user, get 100% as a deposit match with $100. With promo code locked on again, don't forget that promo code. It is locked on and sign up for its deposit match up to one hundred dollars. Check it out
1: now at PrizeMix. Yeah, and I, it's it's pretty telling to me. You know, you mentioned Danny Ainge, and I think mentioning Danny Ainge is right here because Danny Ainge is probably the best executive in the league at realizing when he can, when he can strike, and when he can do one of two things: either trade a guy at the very height of their value and be able to get back the absolute most for that guy. Like he, he turned essentially Colin Sexton and uh, and Isaiah Thomas with Isaiah Thomas's hip, like not working into Kyrie Irving. Like the guy just knows how to pull off deals like that. Or he knows when to look around and find a guy who is really good, is really talented, but, you're not going to need to trade to get rid of too much in order to acquire him. And he got that in John. Like you, you mentioned with John played in 71 games last year. Uh, what, what was his issue A thumb injury breath?
0: It's a finger. Like
1: it, finger. It, it looks more, it looks gross.
0: And I think there's been a little bit in some corners too much put on the finger, but also okay. maybe not enough two. like it. And he, he keeps saying it doesn't matter. Um, I, you're out of the beholder, but it's his finger and it looks, if you ever see it up close, it looks absolutely disgusting. And it has for like a
1: year plus now. <laughs> yeah. So he had going through last season with some sort of injury that was compromising his ability to play basketball. And in a situation in Atlanta that it was just weird all year. I mean, you know, it, it, it seemed obvious that at some point they were going to get rid of the head coach and, and replace him with someone midway through the season. And they ended up doing that for the second time in two years, three years, whatever it ended up being. Yeah. And then they made very clear this new head coach, along with the new guys in the front office, which there was also front office overhaul, everyone is going to be able to come together and shape the roster in any way that they see fit. And if you're a guy like John, who or if you're basically any guy but Trey, and I guess to an extent DeJounte Murray, uh, even though it now seems like he might be... Like, there's some reporting out there that everyone but Trey... He, he, he's at least be, available-ish. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Different level so, of
0: available than maybe other guys, but he's available-ish.
1: So if you're a guy like John, who you know you're on the trade block, and you, like, you're like you injured and you're potentially unsettled, like, all these things are kind of coming together, of course the team that trades for you is going to be able to get you at a discount... The, sh- the surprise to me is just the extent to which the Hawks had to do, or the Hawks did this deal as part of a discount. Like that, that was a little bit surprising to me. Uh, even if, you know, I love the idea of John in Utah because I just, I like that the Utah Jazz are going, yeah, I, we don't care about positions. We just want to get as many good <laughs> basketball players as we possibly can. So why not?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, people that listen to the podcast know that I'm pretty high on Collins, but I think he, is a very, very, very obvious by low candidate um, mm-hmm. just in a lot of different ways. And that doesn't mean he's suddenly an all-star. I think there's this feeling because I am high on him that I think he's like this transition is this transcendent player. And he's not, I do believe that he is currently undervalued in the NBA. And that was seen by this return. And um, you know, your friend and mine, Jake Fisher, came on this podcast last week and basically said, look, the Hawks might have to, might have to actually attach an asset to trade John Collins, and people were like, whoa, really? I'm like, well, I would not terribly surprised, even as someone who, again, is high on him. And if you look at it this way, they they kind of did attach an asset. Like, yeah. As far as the press release is concerned, they can say, oh, we got a pick from Utah, but that is not a good pick. It's a second-round pick that's kind of protected and not very good, and Rudy Gay's negative salary is almost like attaching something to John Collins. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's always gets overlooked. It happened once a long time ago with with the DeAndre Hunter trade where the Hawks took some bad money along with him. And I was like, guys, that's a negative asset, like not a positive one. You have to... And Rudy Gay is, like you said earlier, nice career. Rudy Gay is dead salary at this point in time. So you're taking that yeah. back. All that said, um, it wasn't great. We'll see what the free, what, what the free agent landscape is. I'm not going to ask you to go through free agents that could go with the Hawks because they have a mid-level now that they, whether they use it or not. But um, also as you've been chronicling, I'm sure, at Dime and other places, um, there's, they may not be done. We'll see if they trade DeAndre Hunter. We'll see if they trade Clint Capella. None of that will surprise me. Uh, I believe Zach Lowe's talked even yesterday about like the Siakam thing that Jake's reported on and how Siakam's, like, that, that's kind of real interest. I don't know how real it is as far as negotiations are concerned, but yeah. they may not be done, Bill. So uh, I guess prepare your blogs.
1: I We, we will do as much <laughs> preparing of our blogs as, as we possibly can, but yeah, I I went back while you were talking there and I looked at John's numbers and, you know, before last season, uh, he was a guy who averaged uh, 16.5 points, 8 rebounds on 37.6% shooting. That, that, that's like a really good basketball player. And in, the fact that they, again, got so little back, had to attach, whatever, you know, it, it, it kind of stinks for... Uh, fans of the Atlanta Hawks, I would say that they weren't able, you know, they got, they weren't able to get a little bit more back for him, but you know,
0: maybe that second
1: round, maybe that second round pick turns into Seth Lundy. Who knows? A beautiful
0: transition (laughs) from you, Bill. That was, that was a plus expert level podcast work from Bill who also does his own podcast about Penn state athletics. Um, Okay. So Seth Lundy all joking aside, and I, I do mean this, I would say, I said, whether you were here or not, I said it's on draft night, I really, really like the pick of Seth Lundy. And look, yeah. it's the 46th pick in the draft. I'm not telling you he's going to be a lottery guy. It, it is what it is. But I had him ranked higher than this. I like the pick a lot. And my general thesis, and I want to know what you think about this, and we'll dive in more, is that there's a very clear path for Seth Lundy to be an NBA player. And that is not always the for second round pick. So you've seen him play more than I have, um, even as much as Big, Big Ten basketball as I watch. Uh, What is the general pitch for Seth Lundy? And then we'll sort of dive in from there.
1: Well, you mentioned 46th pick, a little bit higher on your board. He was 47th on our pal uh, Sam Vecini's board. So this is right around the area uh, where I think everyone kind of expected Seth to go. And kind of the pitch for Seth is that, you know, beyond the fact that he went to to perhaps (laughs) – the worst power five uh, basketball school in uh, college not, basketball. Not
0: anymore. Not anymore, Bill. Jalen Pickett went even higher than Seth Lundy did. How about that?
1: I, I don't <laughs> want to tell, try and recreate the noise that I made when Jalen Pickett went that high. Uh, Seth comes from a really good... You know, he's a really good foundation where he went to Roman Catholic High School, one of the best high school basketball programs, uh, if not the best high school basketball program in the city of Philadelphia. It's produced some guys who've made in the NBA, Russell Butler, Eddie Griffin, Brad Wanamaker, uh, currently Lamar Stevens of the Cleveland Cavaliers, went there, uh, and Jalen Durin, currently of the Detroit Pistons, started his career there before transferring down to uh, Montverde Academy in Florida. Uh, school's big time... Athlete was uh, Marvin Harrison, formerly of the Indianapolis Colts, and his son, who uh, Brad's football team has beaten each of the last two years, That's also correct. went to Roman Catholic. Uh, <laughs> comes from a really good AAU program, team final, uh, based out of Philadelphia. So he has a really good foundation for a basketball career. And Seth is a guy that you look at the two things that he does really well one, his ability as a shooter. His the ability that he had to shoot at volume at Penn State last season was really, really impressive. Last year he had four averaged 14 points, 0.2 points per game, 40% on threes, took 6.4 of them a game. And he shoots them in a lot of different ways. He's a good catch-and-shoot guy. You know, he he's going to do this thing, and Hawks fans are going to be a little bit frustrated about this, I think where he loves to get the ball and jab step and jab step and jab step and jab step, and then take one dribble and then get to a step back and then take it. And you're going to go, Seth, what the hell are you doing? And he's going to make it for some reason. He is, (laughs) he, he he just looks like someone who is good at shooting the basketball. And on the other end of the floor, he's a strong and physical man to man defender. He's a good point of attack defender when he's really engaged. Uh, he came in at uh six foot four without shoes which was a little bit surprising penn state was him at six six and 215 pounds he's just built like a rock solid guy so when you talk about three and d wings in basketball you are talking about we want a guy who's going to be able to hit the threes that we generate for him who's never we're never going to ask him to put the ball on the deck do anything too impressive we just want him to catch the basketball and shoot or be in positions where he can make shots. Seth can do that. Other end of the floor, we want someone who we could put on one of the other team's best uh, perimeter players. Seth can do that to an extent. And if those two things, I think he can ride those two things to being in the NBA for a minute. He's by no means a perfect player, but just starting from that, I think you are, you know, it's a thing that you can really build on uh, to create a really good NBA player.
0: Today's show is brought to you by game time. If you've ever been trying to buy tickets for a big event at the last minute, it can be really stressful, probably the best idea for your emotions or your wallets. And after all, ticket buying should not be a hassle and it really isn't with game time. Game time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, and theater. You can avoid stress, and get hyped for the fun that you're actually going to have at the event because game time has killer deals and the best price guarantee in the summer. There's all kinds of things happening around me in Atlanta. I'm sure there are around you as well. With game time, it is easy to find awesome deals. Plus, you can also see the images of where your receipt's going to be at the venue, and they have protection if your event happens to be canceled. Forget all the months of planning in advance. There are deal deal tickets right up to the day of the event with game time, and the game time guarantee also means you get the best possible price. If you find tickets in the same section in the same row for less, you'll be credited 110% of the difference with Game Time. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets just in a matter of seconds, plus they'll be delivered directly to your phone to make things easy. Download the app right now with Game Time. Create an account. Use the promo code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create that account and redeem the promo code LockedOnMBA for $20 off with Game Time. Download the GameTime app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So I want to dive into the shooting a little bit, because that's, like you said, His I think that's his number one appeal pretty clearly. That's the scouting report that got him drafted. If he was a more ordinary shooter, he wouldn't have been drafted probably. Yeah. Um, the 40% from last year, really impressive. Even better than that, catching shoot opportunities. He shot great on um, the synergy numbers and in, in those sort of catch-and-shoot uh, chances. Also, you mentioned the volume too. He attempted, I think it was like 12.5 per 100 possession. That's really, really good volume. Like yeah. the Big Ten is kind of a slog pace-wise sometimes, although Penn State played a little bit faster this year, as you well know. But... At the same time, you know, the volume and the accuracy, he didn't shoot that well his entire career at Penn State. That's worth noting. Mm-hmm. He did, um, uh, uh, he sort of improved there. But by all accounts, like the fundamentals are there. It's like it doesn't really feel like a, like a fluke shooting season. He is an older guy, um, mm-hmm. four year player, 23 years old already. Uh, we'll talk about this more on defense too. But you mentioned the, the 6'4 without shoes on that kind of is 6'6, you know, like yeah, basically, like at a- an inch and a half with shoes essentially ish. And that puts you at six, six. But another thing there is that six ten wingspan, yep. which is like, I didn't exactly expect that from Seth Lundy. I, I didn't really realize he was that long in terms of, you know, plus four, plus five, plus six in terms of the wingspan. So, I mean, the pitch on offense, like you said, seems to be the shooting and crucially in Atlanta, he's not going to be asked to do much more than that. Mm-hmm. And you just can't have enough. You can't have enough shooters. Uh, we saw that last year with the Hawks team. Not that you were watching every minute of the Hawks Bill, but there were times early in the year where Bogie was hurt where they just didn't have enough shooting. Like they just they just yeah. did not have the guys. And I'm not saying something is going to play minutes this year, but if you get two injuries and now you have this 23-year-old who can shoot, that guy can be on the floor for you and that and, and not kill you. And that's not why you draft someone. You're hoping that he becomes like your eighth man down the line, something like that. That would be a great outcome with a 46 overall pick in the draft. But shooting plus like knowing what you can and can't do i mean you mentioned the jab step thing but other than that like i don't think i don't get the feeling and you can correct me because you've seen him more more than i have that he's going to be someone who's going to like make a bunch of mistakes like i feel like he's going to be a guy who just does his job which essentially is going to be spacing the floor and shooting
1: yeah and he he's someone who he yeah you know, i was talking to some friends before. Uh, this podcast. I said, I'm going to be going on my pal's pod talking about Seth. And what are the things you want me to mention? Yeah. And one thing that came up was what came up pretty frequently is that, and this is something I was going to bring up is that he dribbles a lot. He can get a little bit lost in the sauce when it comes to dribbling, when it comes to trying to man dudes up, you know, it, it I, I think that Atlanta is going to do a pretty good job of n- never never needing him to do that never asking him to do that making it like clear that Seth we don't need you to do that he he is someone who i think you know if he has a free free runway to the uh to the rim he's not like someone who's going to dribble it off of his foot or anything yeah. like that and you know he is strong enough he is long enough that i think he will be able to if he gets to the rim and there's a little bit of resistance he's not you know he's not going to be like what you kind of expect some really good shooters to do and just kind of wilt uh, when you face a little bit of pressure.
0: I want to not not to cut you off, but I want to just add something there because, you know, it's not out of the ordinary, even for a guy who projects to be this very easy role player, like at the college level, he was still someone who was probably an above average, like shot creator, you know what I mean? Like, and most of the time, guys are not like specialists like this in, in in college that get drafted. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the guys who become specialists in the NBA or like, not even specialists, but like kind of in that role have bigger roles in college. That's just, that's the way this is supposed to work in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. And, and Seth, you know, per 100 possessions, uh, 7.5 attempts from two uh, per 100 possessions, 12.5 attempts from three. So he was doing a little bit extra, but I think one thing that I think is a little bit important, uh, you mentioned his three point shooting numbers year over year. Uh, obviously is correct to mention he hasn't always been a great shooter. Hasn't always been a like super crazy good shooter. Uh, always been a pretty solid free throw shooter. 75%, yep. 81.3%, 86.7%, 80.7%. I think this is this is where we get into Bill talks about Penn State basketball and Vents a little bit. Uh, he played... 2022-23 was the only year in Seth's entire Penn State career where he had the same coach for more than one year in a row. 2019-20... Uh, That was his freshman year. uh, Penn State was coached by a guy named Pat Chambers, who uh, they were able to get up to, I think, something like number eight or nine in the country. Uh, But COVID ends up happening. Pat ends up uh, losing his job due to an off-the-court incident. He lost it so late that they just promoted promoted an assistant who a, a guy by the name of Jim Ferry who I don't think anyone ever like no one expected him to actually be <laughs> Penn State's coach. So he goes through that tumultuous he goes through that season and that's the first season that's his worst season shooting wise. He's at thirty nine point one percent as a true freshman uh, on two point eight attempts per game. With that a year-long interim coach and a roster where nobody really had any idea what the hell was happening, he was a 32%. Last year, uh, 2021-22, Penn State hires a guy by the name of Micah Shrewsbury. Micah Shrewsbury was uh, Matt Painter's number one assistant at Purdue. He was a longtime Brad Stevens assistant between both Butler and uh, and the Boston Celtics. Brought a more NBA uh, kind of approach style. That's where Penn State was... You know, we saw it in the Celtics this season, uh, they hunt, they looked for a whole hell of a lot of threes, and Seth saw his volume tick up, but on a, a roster that wasn't especially good, uh, they were a little bit better than I think anyone anticipated, but that second year that Seth had in an offense that he knew, with players around him that he knew, with a coach who knew exactly how to use him with a a, you know all those sorts of things that's where Seth had his best season so after shooting 34.8 percent that first year under Micah that second year what ended up being Seth's last year 14.2 points per game 40 percent from three on 6.4 attempts per game Uh, he shot about 53 percent on twos which was a career high he got to the free throw line three times a game not a ton but still was a career high at 80.7 percent so I wouldn't be surprised if getting into a situation where there's a bit of a stability, and even with all the stuff we mentioned about, you know, various guys aren't going to be, you know, are potentially available or this or this or this. We know Trey Young's going to be there. We know that Quinn Snyder is going to be there. And I think Seth is going to be a guy who, with the familiarity of Atlanta, if he's able to get an opportunity, which he's a second-round draft pick, know it. Guarantee that happens. You know, he's 23 years old. Don't know how much upside there is. Blah, 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 blah. blah. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up doing pretty well as the year goes on, as his career goes on, because he has that level of familiarity and because he's not in situations that are, uh, you know, super tumultuous. Don't know who your coach is going to be. Don't, you know, all those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, that's good context, too, for sure. I mean, uh, and. It's going to be – I'm sure he'll play some in College Park this year. You know, there's kind of two different kinds, I would say, of these second-round picks or two ways or what. It's like the there's the high upside guy with the tools and there's sort of the maybe not always low upside but more, like, practical. And he's more in that category where, like, it's very easy to see him playing relatively quickly. Um, I don't know how much upside there is. And, look, I think this is not a shocking thing to say. He's going to have to make shots. Yes. Like, he's going to have to shoot well from three. I think he will, but he's going to have to. And then everything else is kind of supporting that. I mean, I want to make sure we do the defense a little bit because like he's athletic enough to hold up. I think he's not a non-athlete at all. I think you mentioned before like he can get he can get to the rim a little bit. Not a strength of his, but like he's not like completely unable to do so. And for this archetype, he strikes me as like a solid athlete. He's not he's not going to be um, a great NBA athlete probably on the wing, but given the wingspan and the fact that he can move and he can uh, he, and he's fairly strong as like he's an adult basically like yeah. i think he'll be kind of fine is that what you think on I mean, the i mean, not again not going to be a huge plus i don't think defensively but not going to be a guy that's like huge target on his back either it feels like
1: yeah i i i I'd, I'd agree with that he is a uh he's not a guy who's going to jump out of the gym he's not a yeah. guy who uh is inc- you know like shockingly quick uh, not a guy who you know he doesn't have that stuff. He's good at playing man to man. His defense did take a bit of a step back, uh, his senior year in Happy Valley, uh, but he's a very willing defender. Very um, what's the word I'm looking for? Willing defender. When when he's locked in on that end of the floor, that's usually where the best of Seth will come. As an off ball guy, and, and this is just kind of his his thing, when he's off the ball, you know, maybe not as locked in, maybe he gets beaten uh in this kind of situation, but you know, he, he was a college kid playing basketball. That's something that in the pros you can get ironed out. You can kind of have learn a little bit uh, more from that, but I, I think with his length and with his strength, you know, to just kind of use an example, I don't think you're going to want him guarding someone who just blows by guys on the perimeter. Cause I think Seth, he, he'll get a little yeah. bit reachy. That's where fouls will pop up. But if you're putting him on a more physical dude on the perimeter, a guy who tries to overpower uh, wings and that's how he's able to get to the rim, get to his spot, whatever. I think Seth will do a good job against them. So, you, you know, we talk to kind of put it all together with him. I, I the thing that interests me about the Hawks and I will I will now hijack your podcast and ask you the thing that interests me about him on the the Hawks Brad is Atlanta has a bunch of different wings who I think are you know similar ish archetypes of guys And in Seth, you're bringing in a guy who he's going to make. A tenth of what DeAndre Hunter makes. He's going to make a fraction of what Sadiq Bey ends up making. He'll make a bit less than what AJ Griffin ends up making. When I look at how he can get on the floor, you know, if what, if the Hawks decide, you know what, DeAndre, we're going to try and find a new home for you. I, I think he's, I don't think he's as good as DeAndre Hunter right now by any stretch of the imagination, but I think he could step in and do like an admirable impression of just an NBA wing, which for a team like Atlanta that um, maybe has some stuff with spending money right now, uh, isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, no. And I think that you're right.
0: It would take some attrition for him to him or any second round pick to play as a a rookie on this roster. That's kind of implied. I feel like people, hopefully you understand what we're saying there. I think Lundy is a lot closer to being able to play than most second round picks would be. Based on age and skill set, yeah. um, especially on a team like Atlanta, where he'll be set up by Trey Young, um, that is very makes your life easy on offense if you're a shooter on this team. Um, and it, you know, defensively, if you're looking at a, uh, this is not a perfect comparison, but on the current Hawks, the comp there is like the younger version of Bogey, like not mm-hmm. a great athlete, but strong, similar size. Kind of get by with know how. I think um, this is a very, very simple, like very simple thing, a way to put it. But I think that being around someone like Bogey, it would be great for Seth Lundy. Be like, hey, he's never going to be as good as Bogey. I'm pretty confident in that as far as like career wise. But a guy to learn from, a vet who like knows all the tricks, Bogey knows exactly what to do. They're kind of the same size, both shoot first guys, not great athletes, but kind of strong and know how, all that stuff. So I'm just trying to paint a little bit of a Hawks picture. But yeah, Yeah. I I do agree totally that like, let's say you get two injuries and a trade or something and it's November and you look on the bench and say, you know what, we, we need someone who can shoot the basketball right now. I think that you could probably play Seth Lundy for 10 minutes and he won't look yeah. out of place, which is not a small thing for me.
1: Yeah. And one, a thing that I think is going to, the reason I was so excited as you know a Penn state basketball fan seeing Seth go here is that Seth's best year came under a really creative offensive head coach who knows how to get his guys looks in Micah Shrewsbury and a point guard in Jalen Pickett, who's just really smart, really crafty, really good at throwing guys open or seeing guys when they are open, even if it's a difficult pass and getting them the ball where they want. So they can just fire away and not have to worry about anything else. And he's going to, a situation like that or an NBA version of that situation with a point guard and Trey, who is just going to be able to get him the ball in his spots wherever he wants it. And the guy in coaching Quinn Snyder, who Seth goes in there and impresses Quinn Snyder from the rip. And you know, that accelerates things a bit. And if he could be a guy who hits shots, like Quinn Snyder won't care that he's a second round rookie. He will try to find ways to get him shots from the perimeter. So long way to go. Don't want to assume anything, but like, uh, 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 again, all jokes aside, you know, uh, you mentioning <laughs> to me a month ago, hey, guess what? You're coming on with Seth. I, was, I, I really do think this is one of the better fits that Seth could have had uh, among yeah. teams that were picking in the second round.
0: I like it, too. And same thing, like, you know, the Hawks kind of had their two second round picks and Muhammad Gay is much more of a swing, like mm-hmm. not in a bad way. I like that pick, but he's more of a toolsy upside guy. Whereas they went a little bit more utilitarian with Scott Seth Lundy, I think it's a little bit more easy to project, and that's kind of what I recommend most teams doing. If they have two second round yep. picks, it's like kind of a good mixture of something to do, and um, I like the pick a lot. And you know, I said I said that without you, and I'll say it I say it here with you. Um, you know, so I'm sure he'll play in summer league. They haven't announced the roster yet. I'm assuming he will be out there. Probably not the best possible context for a guy like him. Like I think he's going to be better probably when they get actually into. Yeah. You know, playing with real sets and stuff like that, but uh, summer league is summer league, so no, I'm sure no one will overreact to anything that happens in Las Vegas, up and down, up up and down the uh, the entire league, really.
1: Yeah, like you know, they're going to. I I don't think either of us would be especially surprised if Kobe Bufkin is playing point guard in summer league, and like I I expect him to play a lot of point guard in summer league. Yeah, yes, and like respectfully to Kobe Bufkin, like he's not trey young and like guys (laughs) guys guys like well in summer league summer league in general like you know what i mean like right it's there's
0: things i love about summer league it's not always the best context for players that are not on the ball like and all the guys who need support are not usually propped up in
1: summer league. so for a guy like seth for a guy like an aj griffin uh you know insert insert guy who has the label of three and d wing (laughs) here like yeah it's not going to be a great situation, but I guarantee that I guarantee that we're going to be sitting here in late September, early October. And just the fact that these guys are playing with Trey, even, even, you know, a guy like Kobe is going to benefit from being around Trey, but just those kinds of wing players, they're going to be around Trey and they're going to be like, Oh God, like look at what this guy is doing to make me better at basketball. It's going to be, it's going to be quite fun. uh, And as you said, For the love of God, please do not uh, draw any conclusions from summer (laughs) league that don't have to do with like that guy's tall.
0: Uh, I would co-sign that. Well, Bill, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate all of your Penn State insider nonsense. You're going to a Penn State shirt right now, even though people can't probably see the entire thing. There it is. Uh, If you're watching on YouTube, you cannot cannot see Bill's Bill shirt. Uh, But thank you, sir. You have plenty to do. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next few days of dime madness when it comes to free agency. And we'll be talking about all kinds of stuff around the league. Where can folks find all of your work? And honestly, maybe even your Penn state stuff. Usually not a, I'm probably not, probably not a huge Penn state contingent covering the, uh, listening to the Locked On podcast. Maybe they, maybe there's some right now with Seth Lundy. Maybe there's people are Googling Seth Lundy's name. Where can they find all of the things that you do?
1: Uh, first off my man, Jason, uh, I know you listened to the podcast. I know you're a Penn state grad. I know you are an Atlanta Hawks fan. Shout out to you. Major yeah. League Soccer forever. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> I uh, – over on Twitter, at Bill DeFilippo. the podcast uh, is called Roar Lions Roar, at RLR blog on Twitter. We're in Penn State football mode mostly uh, right now. Uh, and then, yeah, over a dime, me and Brad are uh, – Uh, among the contents men over there doing doing the the contents people that is doing doing the best we can it's uh it's we do try it's a good time yeah
0: it is a good crew bill is one of the best people that i know so thank you bill for letting me have this time with you talking about seth Lundy. as everybody else please subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts and we'll see you all next time